And I ended up going on Facebook and joined a few Knoxville moms groups. And so based on like the different parts of Knoxville, there's one for West Knox and all that stuff. So I joined all of them. I'm still in a lot of them right now. And I've simply put in the question, hey, I'm looking for a provider of color. Can anyone recommend anybody? And all these women were just like, well, this person's not black, but I had a great experience with them. And these were all white women responding too. So I'm like, I can't trust you. I can't trust you. <laughs> you you don't know what I'm looking for and why I'm even asking that. So there's a level of like, you just don't get it. Welcome to Birthright, a podcast about stories of joy and healing in Black birth. My name is Kimberly Seals Allers, and I'm here to help Black women and birthing people reclaim joy as our birthright and to lean into and learn from positive Black birth stories. Today's story involves a dream team and a viral tweet. Want to know how those come together for Black birth joy? Well, let me introduce you to Maureen Seabert Gators, PhD. My name is Maureen Gators. I'm 30 years old and I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and this is my birthright story. So I found out I was pregnant about two weeks after I defended my dissertation. So I graduated from Duke University School of Nursing with a PhD in nursing science. And I defended on my birthday, actually, March 31st. And, you know, a few days went by and I was exhausted. And everybody said that's super normal to be tired after defending your dissertation, something like I was working towards for nearly five years. And I just noticed I was a bit more tired (laughs) than usual. And literally, I just woke up one day and I told my husband, Bo, something's not right. (laughs) And got a pregnancy test. And sure enough, it came back positive. And life hasn't been the same ever since. (laughs) I'm Bo Gators. I'm 35 years old. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. I am the father of Bo Jr. And I am Maureen Siebert Gators' husband. That moment was honestly it was it was shock because so much was happening with COVID and Maureen was in the process of defending her dissertation. I had transitioned from teaching on campus to virtual, which was just scattered for myself and my students, but we all made it through. Um and we were spending a lot of time just in the house, just relaxing, going outside, playing board games. I like board games. But It was shock initially and then excitement. Like, wow, we're going to have a child. Like, you're pregnant. This is exciting. And and I I believe the she recorded me and I believe I said, wow, with that head nod. So (laughs) professionally, I'm a historian of Latin America. I focus on. African descendants in Latin America, so black folks in Brazil and Cuba, Colombia, Mexico. That's what I do professionally, but personally, as a professor, I love being a mentor. So I had been living in North Carolina for about five years, but then my husband got offered this amazing position at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville as a history professor. So he taught history at Winston-Salem State in North Carolina, and all around that time, I think within weeks, of him receiving the job offer and me, you know, finding out I was pregnant, we learned that we would be 
moving to Knoxville, Tennessee by mid to end of the summer. So there being a difference of where I thought I would deliver at first, I was I was scared. So in Durham and um, where I was living and uh, in North Carolina in general, there is actually quite a healthy amount of Black providers and providers of color. And so I had already set up my prenatal care, like from the moment that I learned I was pregnant, I called them and I, it was just about, you know, just a few weeks away from that moment. And I was able to get a provider that was trusted by a lot of people that I knew in North Carolina to go to her and seek care. She's a Black woman. Within that office, I believe there's one or two other Black women and just really diverse office with nurses and ultrasound techs and all that stuff. And also um, lab techs, everybody was a person of color. All the front facing like staff members were very diverse and very sweet. And I feel like I was just kind of starting that process with them. And I was hoping to replicate that process in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I pretty much just went on a Googling and research, you know, uh, frenzy trying to find a practice that had uh, diverse staff and specifically diverse OBGYN providers. This is a common refrain from Black women and birthing people. They feel more comfortable with a person who looks like them taking care of them. And while this is no guarantee, for many, it is one measure that they feel can improve the likelihood of a better experience. However, Black people only represent 11% of all OBGYNs and 5% of all active physicians in the U.S. today. So for many, and depending on where you live, finding a Black physician is like finding a needle in the haystack, a mission nearly impossible. But thankfully, some digital platforms are helping to fill the gap. My name is Ashley Wisdom, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Health in Her Hue, a digital health platform connecting Black women and women of color to culturally aligned and sensitive providers, health content, and community. I created Health in Her Hue because I saw that there is a lot of fear and trepidation that Black women have as they're navigating a health system that, quite frankly, wasn't designed for them. And so I wanted to create a space online that empowered Black women to be able to find providers that they're more likely to trust so that there is less fear as they're going to seek care from a health system that, again, was not designed with them in mind. As a nurse practitioner myself, I did work in women's health for a short time in an outpatient setting, and I just saw the difference of connections that I had with my patients, who we either share the same skin color or same values in some different way. And also I had my own experiences of a negative healthcare experience while pregnant. Early on in my pregnancy, before my first prenatal scheduled ultrasound, I was having really, really bad morning sickness. It was pretty much all day long sickness for me. <laughs> and after a few days of that, I was feeling really weak. And I went to a local hospital to try to get care, just some fluids. You know, I worked in the ER myself. So I had experiences as well with people who are pregnant coming in and just trying to seek some relief for a little bit. And the way that I was treated was just awful. These assumptions that were made about me and what I knew, um, you know, I came in early, like maybe 4 a.m., so I'm just in regular sweatpants and stuff, and it was just a shock when people found out what I did, like, oh, you have all these degrees and stuff. I'm like, why does that matter? And I noticed they were like looking down at my hand, did I have a ring on at the time? Multiple questions of, was this pregnancy planned? Do I even want it? Which I was just like, I... 
I don't see the point in asking all of this. I'm coming in for dehydration, nausea, and vomiting. Why does that matter? And so it was just a weird experience. And by weird, you mean racist. But uh, please continue, Maureen. Even like later on, and mind you, at that point, I had already defended my dissertation. I had a doctorate level degree. And usually I don't like, I'm not like showy with that or anything like that. And so the physician assistant came in and called me like, um, I think she called me like little girl or something like that. It was just this really disrespectful tone and comment that she said. She was like, hey, girl, you know, are you thinking about prenatal care? And I'm just like, why Why wouldn't I? <laughs> like, what makes you think that I wouldn't be doing prenatal care and taking all those like, you know, recommended measures and stuff? And so it, it was just a challenging experience. I was like, I don't want that again. I don't want that again at all. And I don't want that at the most challenging moment of my life. Like childbirth is, is, is a challenging experience. Anything could go wrong that is life or death. And I didn't want anybody looking down on me as if I was nothing. Maureen's one of the most confident people I've ever met in my life. And so seeing how nervous and worried she got about the, the, the birth um, made me realize that not only do I have to physically be there, but I have to talk her through things that, um, and not talk her through things as far as giving her information, but letting her know that her voice needs to be heard. And I wanted to feel like a patient in that moment. I didn't want to have to have all my hats on like, ooh, you know, this dose is incorrect. That dose is not correct and stuff like that. And yeah, I can advocate for myself. I have no problem doing that. But I learned later on, I'm very vulnerable in that moment. I am tired <laughs> going through contractions and all that. I don't want to have to be double checking your calculations just to make sure I'm, I'm safe. And so I started at the end of May and by Googling OBGYN practices. And so a whole bunch popped up and I, and I just start clicking and I noticed that everyone is white, <laughs> like everyone. And I'm just, and I'm looking at um, all the websites and often, um, you know, there's, there's the tab for like our providers. And, you know, if, even if there weren't any pictures, I would copy and paste and, you know, uh, look up their name, see if I can find them on LinkedIn. Like, what do you look like? <laughs> and it was challenging. And I ended up going on Facebook and joined a few Knoxville moms groups. And so based on like the different parts of Knoxville, there's one for West Knox and all that stuff. So I joined all of them. I'm still in a lot of them right now. And I simply put in the question, hey, I'm looking for a provider of color. Can anyone recommend anybody? And all these women were just like, well, this person's not black, but I had a great experience with them. And these were all white women responding too. So I'm like, I can't trust you. <laughs> I can't trust you. <laughs> you. You don't know what I'm looking for and why I'm even asking that. So there's a level of like, you just don't get it. I think if it was a, a sister of color who said, hey, I had this experience, but I didn't get that in those conversations. And then honestly, it just became like a daily thing of just looking for weeks, an hour or two at a time. You know, if I had some downtime, like on my phone, I'd just be looking up different things. 
And so black women want to make sure that they're seeing doctors who understand their lived experiences, their cultural context. And that is often difficult to find because, as we all know, there just aren't enough black physicians in the physician workforce. But there's a level of trust and um, compassion that black women feel they're going to get from a provider who looks like them and who has shared similar lived experiences. And then I looked up my insurance provider, so I just went through the whole list. And of course, Dr. Welch Charles W. last name was at the end of the list. So it took me a while to find her. And then when I finally did a copy and paste and put her in, I saw her brown skin and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) My name is Shanika Welch Charles. I am an obstetrician gynecologist, and right now I'm currently practicing in Knoxville, Tennessee. I work at a very large academic medical center, UT Medical Center. Uh, It's kind of a hub in East Tennessee, so a lot of volume through that particular hospital. I have been doing OBGYN now for about 14 years, which kind of blows my mind because saying it sounds so much longer than what it feels like. I feel like I just got started and I have so much more work to do. So I grew up in Nashville and I would have loved to be back in Nashville, but um, circumstances dictated otherwise. And I came to Knoxville. Moving here, I did not realize that there was a shortage of black OBGYNs, let alone black physicians at all. That was just something that I never even thought about. It was never on my radar to think that there needed to be more diversity in black providers. It was just one of those situations that I actually came to learn from my patients. They would come into the room and it was like they were looking at a unicorn, like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. And initially my eyes were big as saucers because I'm confused. Like, what do you mean? And, you know, it kept happening so much that I started doing research and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like, I really am the only black OBGYN in Knoxville. And that is alarming and in so many ways. And so, you know, I had this conversation with my husband and he's like, well, that's good. And so, you know, for me, it was a little bit of closure that, you know, even though Knoxville wasn't where I had intended to come when I came back to Tennessee, that this is where I needed to be and I'm happy to be here. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I even told my husband, Bo, I was like, I found a black doctor. <laughs> and it was just, just seeing her. And honestly, I hadn't met her at that time just yet. But it was just something about the fact that she was black. And I, and I you know, just felt comfortable in that moment making that first appointment with her. And it honestly did not disappoint when we got there. So Dr. Welch Charles is a ball of energy. She is just so funny. She walked in the room and she immediately began joking with my husband, Bo. Bo never missed any of my appointments. That is part to his character and then also part because like COVID and quarantine, he didn't have to be on campus at all. And so he was at every single appointment with me. And just immediately she connected with him and asked him what he was doing. And, you know, she talked about her husband and like all the cool things that they had in common. I think that patients um, feel that they need to have a black OBGYN because they feel that there is a connection there, that, that I get where they're coming from, that 
they hope, you know, because it is a huge assumption when they come in and make that, but that they hope that we have some of the same ideas and we grew up, you know, with knowing some of the same things and that they can talk about their braids and their struggles with their hair and, and I can get that. And so I think for a lot of black women, that's what they want to find in a provider. Being an OBGYN, I understand it's tough because women come to you in their most vulnerable states. And not to mention that they have to get completely undressed most of the time when they're there. They're also having to share intimate parts about themselves and they want to feel that they are around someone who can understand that on the level that they want to explain it. Just being able to talk about like our hairstyles and she was like, girl, I'm just, you know, trying to have it this way, you know, to survive the next couple of weeks. And like, I get it. Right. We often just don't want to do our hair a lot. And then when I had to do like my glucola testing, <laughs> we talked about like Kool-Aid and how it's made and how, you know, it wasn't that bad and all that stuff. And honestly, in the times where we couldn't meet with her just because the schedule's not aligning, but you know, I needed to be seen within like that specific week. My husband and I were just like, oh, this is a bummer. Like we felt the difference when she wasn't there, even just her energy in general. And I think part of it has to do with her being a black woman. But part of it also has to do with you can just tell that she feels called to this field. She she feels like this is like her God given ministry in a sense. So she puts her all in and that's what we get in return for sure. Midway through my pregnancy, around week 28, 29 or so, I'm on the computer every day. I'm doing my postdoc virtually. So I'm just the Zoom calls and emails and all that stuff. And so I was sitting one day at the computer and then I just started getting this really bad headache. And then I just wanted to lay down for a little bit and then just experience a lot of nausea and vomiting and stuff with the headache. And, you know, I immediately called my husband. We went to the hospital to get checked and you know they're trying to clear me for like preeclampsia and it was my blood pressure was perfect I was having the headaches which then went away but then this protein just kept consistently rising each week and so you know Dr. Welch Charles at some point you know I was supposed to be in every two weeks but then she had me coming in weekly or sometimes twice a week and the protein levels just kept on rising but my blood pressure was remaining like really low and so it, I, I kind of gave this like, I kind of gave her a bit of a conundrum, a medical conundrum, because <laughs> she didn't want to, you know, take the baby too early and like, you know, have that whole like NICU experience and all that stuff. But then she also didn't want to wait too late. And so she really kept eyes on me and we could tell that she was paying special attention to us because there was a visit where we ended up having to see like another provider in the office who's awesome. But you could just tell that they're a bit more nonchalant about it than she was. Whereas Dr. Wells Charles, she's like, I don't want to cause like a stir, but I want to prepare you for all of our different options. And we felt extremely safe and, and heard with that. And so as time went on, I was getting closer to my 37th week and the protein levels, I uh, did another 24 hour protein and it's even higher. There is a syndrome that can happen in the third trimester called preeclampsia. The older generation will call it toxemia, but it's the same thing. And pretty much it is a multi-organ system type of 
slow failure and it's very progressive. And so it starts with the kidneys and the kidneys will no longer be able to filter like they usually would. And so the first sign of that is that you will start to notice protein in the pregnant woman's urine. During prenatal appointments, we check blood pressure, we check urine every single time. And that that is one of the things that we're trying to ascertain when we're doing those very simple, seemingly simple things at each prenatal appointment. We look harder at it, especially as it starts to occur in the third trimester. And so with Maureen, she started to have protein in her urine. And it was late second, early third trimester that I was starting to notice this. And her blood pressures, though, were not elevated. And so with preeclampsia, it's usually the combination of the two of them that will give you that diagnosis. And it is a very progressive disorder, disease, however you want to call it, that if you don't catch it early, you can catch it too late and it could be detrimental to mom, detrimental to baby, to the extent that either or could die. And so you have to be very astute in knowing what you're looking for and knowing how to handle that. And also knowing your patient population. It is very common in African-American women. And so that is one of the things that started to happen with Maureen. She started having protein in her urine. She was fine. She had no other symptoms. And so we watched it for a while and, and it was only a small amount, but then it would come and go. And then finally, I got tired of watching it because I knew that that was writing on the wall. And so that was my conversation to Maureen and Bo. Okay, listen, this is where we are. This is what what is happening. I have no guarantee that you will progress to preeclampsia or not. But I do know that if we don't do anything, that there is a strong chance that you can. And we don't want to miss the window. If we know that the writing is on the wall, why are we going to keep watching it? So as soon as we got to a point to where it was fine seemingly to go ahead and induce, meaning that we didn't have any concerns about putting baby bow at risk for lung issues or breathing problems or potentially a NICU stay, then we made that call and I pulled the plug. Did you know that racism and bias in care has been directly linked to the Black maternal and infant mortality crisis? Black and brown women and birthing people need to birth with earth. Earth is in the word birth, but we dropped the B for bias, is a new Yelp-like review and rating app for Black and other birthing people of color to leave and find reviews of OBGYNs, birthing hospitals, and pediatricians. Join the movement to use our collective experiences to inform and protect each other and to bring transparency and accountability to the medical system. Reclaim your birthright to birth without bias. Earth is available now in the Google Play and Apple App Stores. Download today. Search reviews for yourself. Leave a review to help others. Visit earthapp.com to learn more and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Earth App. So just in terms of like safety, we ended up just scheduling an induction and I was really happy with it. People in women's health, they try to, you know, avoid inductions and all that stuff. I was happy because Dr. Wells Charles was going to be on call that day, the day that we scheduled it. So I was like, sign me up if she's going to be there. <laughs> I'm happy with that. And so we ended up coming in for the scheduled induction and that experience having Dr. Wells Charles and the whole staff at the hospital was great. 
My husband and I, we did a birthing class at that hospital prior to um, coming in for the induction. So we were familiar with the area, like the floor, because of COVID, we weren't able to tour it. But that morning we came in, they called us to come in and we laugh about it because when we walked in at 8 a.m., Dr. Welch Charles also was walking in. So we both rode up on the elevator (laughs) to labor and delivery. And so um, we get to the labor and delivery room and uh, we're checked in. Uh, I change into my like birthing gown that I had gotten from Frida Mom, which is great, <laughs> very comfortable. And we had an initial nurse who was a white woman and she was cool. You know, we were having conversations with her as she's like getting us checked in, drew my labs and all that stuff. And she goes, what do you do? And I told her I was a postdoc at UPenn and I study, I actually study infertility in black women. And she goes, wow, you know, we've been like learning a bit more about black maternal health and stuff. And I just think it's like so awful. And like the simple fact that It seemed as though maybe the floor was talking more about black maternal health and the issues that are rising nationally. I was like, okay, that I feel safe. (laughs) I was like, okay. And so the day that Bo Jr. was born was a very, very sweet day. Maureen and Bo actually met me in the elevators as I was coming in to start my shift. They should have been there the night before, but labor and delivery was crazy. And so they kept pushing their delivery off. So when I got on the elevator and saw them there, I was like, hey, are we ready to do this? And they were excited and I was excited. And I was kind of, I didn't tell them that, but I was like, oh my goodness, I hope that I'm going to be able to be here for their delivery. Because again, they were delayed. They should have been there several hours before already having the process rolling, but they weren't. And so, you know, when she finally got into the room, I was thinking, okay, I hope that this works out to where I'm here for 24 hours, but this is her first baby. This could take forever. I know that she could very well deliver at noon the next day and I will be at home asleep catching up, but it didn't work that way. Her entire process was as smooth as it could be. She transitioned so fast, so gracefully, and just the two of them, just seeing how they meshed together and worked together to get through that delivery was inspiring to the entire floor. I mean, they were the talk of the floor. I don't know if they realized this or not, but they were. Just from the moment that they walked in, just they were holding hands. You could tell they were in love. This was going to be a great time. Like this should be everybody's birth story. And, you know, I say that in fond recollection of the memory, but then, you know, as I recall it, I do remember thinking to myself, why are they making such a huge deal about them? And the reason is because they were black. They were making a big deal about this beautiful couple going through this beautiful birth because they don't see that a lot. The nurses do not. I mean, we see it every day, all day. The revolving door of the white couples who come in, loving, you know, doting on one another, supporting each other right there every step of the way. But we don't see that a lot with our own race. And so it was inspiring to everybody, but it did give some pause and a little bit of sadness because you're like, man, why can't everybody just have this 
this birth experience. But yes, that was a very, very sweet day. Little Bo came out before I could get back into the room. I don't know if she shared that part, but Julia was right there to hold it down. And so as soon as um, as soon as we all got into the room and, and he was there, you know, the we finished the delivery and, and it was just a beautiful day. We started with the mesoprostol, which is like inserted into the vaginal canal. And so that kind of started my labor. And at first I didn't want an epidural. And so as like contractions started getting more intense, my husband was a great help and he was rubbing my back and we were doing all the things that we learned in the birthing class. So I was trying IV meds for pain and it was working great. But then at a certain point, they stopped working and it's not as <laughs> helpful and it was getting very tough. And Dr. Walsh Charles and like the other nurses checking my service just was becoming really more uncomfortable and painful. And uh, before I had resolved not having a epidural because honestly, I was scared. I didn't want to feel that helpless because when you get an epidural, you know, everything is numb. You're in bed. So if anything changed at that point, I was going to feel stuck. And this is before we knew that, you know, Dr. Welch Charles was going to be there. And so it could have been anyone in her practice that I maybe didn't feel as comfortable with. So I was determined to write out this birthing experience without any intense pain management. And then honestly, it was just getting to a point where I was like, oh, I, I can't do this. And I looked at my husband <laughs> I looked at him. I was like, I can't do this. He was like, listen, you've been a rock star. You've been taking this like a G. That's how he talks. He's from Southside Chicago. He's like, you've been taking this like a G. You know, if you get the epidural, it doesn't make you less of a person or anything like that. You know, if you want to ride this out without it, I got you. I'm here and all that. And otherwise, like, you know, this is it's whatever you want to do. I was very cognizant to make sure that it was her saying, this is what I want. So instead of me saying, okay, you want the epidural, do it now. It was, okay, but how do we phrase that to make sure that she knows that this is what she says she wanted. And if she changes her mind, then that's fine too. But that you are supporting her in, in whatever that decision is. And so I ended up saying, okay, I'll take the epidural. And at that point, it was like change of shift. And the second nurse, Julia, came in, a black woman. And so right as um, our first nurse was giving report to Julia, the second nurse that came in, anesthesia came in to do the epidural. And so I'm just like praying, you know, at the side of the bed, like, Lord, let there be no side effects. Lord, help me through this. <laughs> like, you know, also working through the contractions. And my husband is coaching me. He's praying in my ear. And then, you know, the anesthesiologist um, who came in, she was just like, hey, this is the process. These are the potential symptoms. Here is, you know, the consent form, signed it and all that stuff. And so, you know, I'm sitting at the side of the bed, just waiting for her to start. And I just kind of like feel her like feeling you know, for the place. And then all of a sudden, Julia, who's still talking to the other nurse, stops that conversation and goes, hold up, we need to do a timeout. And then in that moment, I was just like, yes, God is in the room. God is here. Because as a healthcare professional, I know to do a timeout. And a timeout, just to explain that, is something that got put in place uh, many years ago because of all the medical mistakes that were happening. So before any surgery, it could be as 
small as like a bedside thing and not like in an ER to like a huge like heart transplant. You stop before anything is done and you verify who the patient is. When Nurse Julia came in, she was so... I'm trying not to be so Chicago. She was just on point. Like, the way she came in was so G. She just came in like, hey, this is what we're doing. It was so business. And then she turned to us and had a casual conversation. What do you do? Oh, I'm from here. I just travel here. Really calm. And then went right back to the professional. And I was like, oh, she got this. She got this. (laughs) So I was already comfortable with Dr. Wells Charles, but her coming in, And what she did with the anesthesiologist opened my eyes because I didn't know about a timeout. I was at at that point, I was just like, okay, this is what we're doing. And so for her to make sure that the the steps that were needed to be taken care of were taken care of, it it calmed me. And I wasn't leaving the room. Um, They kept saying like, Bo, you need to eat. And I was like, nope, I'm good. I'll be right here. And uh, it it was funny because they, they kept saying leave. So I left, I ate, came back and... Just just her attentiveness really stood out to me. But I also saw Maureen become more calm. Um, I was just paying attention to her and seeing her just relax. And the way Julia spoke to me was like, my sister. Like, this is what we're doing. She's like, okay, Dad, this is what we're going to do. You're going to lift the leg up. Like, it wasn't, hey, well, think about this. She's like, look, this is what we're doing. I know what I'm doing. And so you on the team, you're already doing what you need to do. And I, I just, I appreciated that. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated that. Who's in charge of this experience in terms of whether the head nurse or the head doctor and what is going to be done? And everybody needs to agree that this is what's going to be done. You know, so people need to clarify, is this a left leg amputation or a right leg amputation? These things are important. <laughs> and so like, I knew that I need to do that. But in that moment, I was just worried about the side effects. I didn't want a headache. I didn't want my blood pressure to drop. I didn't want um, my labor to stop. And so that's what I was worried about and, and praying for in that moment. And Julia really made sure that all angles were taken care of in that moment. And I feel like that, along with the epidural, helped me relax a lot more. And my labor from that moment was like 7 p.m. I was three centimeters and I started pushing around 1050. <laughs> I was fully dilated just within a few hours. And we met our son shortly after that. The birth was really quick, which shocked me. It was really quick. So the, what happened is uh, Julia said, hey, we're going to do some practice pushes, some practice pushes. And what took place is, I think maybe on the third practice push, Maureen was like, wait, he's coming out. I can't, I can't stop him. And so nurse was like, no, no, no. She's like, no, 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 really. I can feel him coming out. And he's like, oh, he is coming. And so um, it happened so quickly. And in that moment, my, my whole idea was just to be supportive of Maureen. So right before we did the practice, I made sure that I prayed over her. I prayed over the room. I just, you know, held her hand and and let her know that you know, God's will be done. We are in the presence of the Lord, and that's what we are here for. So then, going to how quickly it took place, it it wasn't. I mean, it was a shock because it was quick, but I wasn't worried because it because I, I just knew that this is what was supposed to be happening, and they 
pulled baby Bo out <laughs> and gave him to Maureen. And I was just immediately thinking, wow, Bo, you are a father. And after that, I immediately looked at the room and I was like, oh, my God, look at these strong black women. Julia, like from her presence in that hour or so, two hours, I could tell how she was. Dr. Welch Charles, just how informative she was, not just giving us the literature, but breaking things down in detail and asking, do you all have questions? And whenever we would say no, what I love about her is she would pause and say, okay, so do you all have any questions? Like, because people's first response is silence, right? Like, no, I don't. And then you let them know, like, you can ask a question, then they have they do have things to, to ask. And so because I saw that, I immediately sent a message to each group chat that I was updating. I was like, this is a room full of powerful black women. And my brother-in-law was like, hey, Bo, you have to make sure that you get a picture of that so that Bo Jr. knows that he was brought into this world by strong black women. And Brother Ernie is always on point. So it's just like, oh, right, right. Everyone was black. <laughs> Everyone was black. <laughs> My black husband was next to me. Um, the black OBGYN was there. And Julia, you know, can't forget her surge tech <laughs> that was helping Dr. Welch Charles. But um, after Dr. Welch Charles, you know, checked me, make sure I didn't have any like um, tears or anything like that, I asked the surge tech, I was like, can you take a picture of us? <laughs> and so. So it was me, Julia, the nurse, my husband, the baby, and Dr. Welch Charles. And I ended up posting that picture to Twitter just to my 300 followers explaining my experience. And at this point now, it's gotten maybe over 21,000 likes and retweets and stuff like that. So that is available for everyone to see. (laughs) Just weeks earlier, before I delivered... There was a story of a black pediatrician who died in childbirth. And it gets me emotional. (laughs) Because one, I find that to be just like so unfair that a, a highly educated woman like that didn't make it out of this experience. And I believe she had a daughter and like her daughter won't know her. And then her husband has to go on and do this without her. And it's important for us to know those stories and when that happens so we can push, you know, for better, you know, reproductive justice and a better, safer experience and stuff like that. But I went into my experience rather terrified. <laughs> if Dr. Welch Strauss wasn't going to be there, I was not going to get that epidural because I didn't know what was going to happen and somebody would take care of me. And, whew, sorry. <laughs> and so with all those negative stories that we heard, I just wanted to show what it meant to have a positive experience. Like, what was that formula? And part of it was me, you know, advocating for myself and pushing until I, I, I found a provider I was comfortable with. I often find that people 
especially in the black community, even my friends right now, they'll, they'll often say, oh, I feel like my doctor doesn't listen to me. And I'm just like, you know, you can go to a different doctor, right? You don't have to stay with that same doctor, you know, and people do it all the time, whether for moving or insurance changes, mid-pregnancy, they change providers. And so I just want to tell people, you don't have to feel locked into a situation that you're not comfortable with. And then also on the other end, providers, this is how you deliver culturally competent care. You connect with people. Institutions, you hire people that look like the patients in your area. You know, UT Medical Center is blessed to have Dr. Welch Charles. <laughs> and so they need to know they need to hire other people because I'm also afraid that she might get burnt out if she's the only one and all these people are coming to her as well. On the patient end and on the provider end and just telling these institutions how, what a positive experience is. When Maureen shared a photo and series of tweets about her all-Black birth team and experience on Twitter, it went viral almost immediately. One respondent said, quote, I have tears of joy in my eyes while reading your beautiful, non-traumatic birth experience, which sadly should be the standard. This gives me hope, unquote. Another said, this is the best love story ever. What a hope-filled, successful birth story. So many responses. I could go on. Maureen, were you surprised by the response on Twitter? Yes, I was surprised. At that point, I only had 300 followers. I mean, I only have 800 now, but <laughs> but I really was just sharing the experience to like, you know, colleagues and friends who followed me on Twitter. And the response that I got, there were some who were like, man, I wish I had this experience. I had a negative experience. There were women who are pregnant now who commented and said, hey, you know what? I don't feel this connection with my OBGYN group. I'm going to switch. And there are providers who are like, wow, this is great. Like now I understand like how we can make this a better patient provider communication experience. And then also, too, there were people who got educated on like, you know, why why this black maternal health experience is so different for different people. Um and then also, too, I got a whole bunch of people who said they were thinking about going into labor and delivery as a nurse at a nursing school. So they felt inspired. Julia had shared with me that it was her and one other black nurse and they were the only two black nurses on staff in the labor delivery unit. And so that's an, another God experience, the fact that she was on shift and got assigned to me. <laughs> but that's kind of troubling too. Like what if she just wasn't feeling well and called out, you know, <laughs> which is her right. You know, I would have been maybe not as safe. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. A lot of the literature is saying that there is better care given when you do have a provider that looks like yourself. And I do agree with that, not refuting, but I also like to shed light on the fact that if providers, if your OBGYN is simply following the standard of care and doing things the way that things should be done, then you wouldn't have to fight so hard to find a black OBGYN. And it should just be across the board, but the harsh reality is it's just not. And so because of that, that is the reason why I think a lot of women feel the need to ensure that they are in the hands of someone who seemingly has their best interests at stake. I want to share just a brief 
little story about one of my really good friends. So obviously we're, we're older, so we're considered, you know, if we were pregnant around this time, which she did just have a baby, we're considered now the geriatric pregnancy. I refuse to call it that because I still consider it to just, I will just say advanced maternal age, geriatric pregnancy to me just sounds horrible and rude. But anyhow, she, um, she lives in Atlanta. She's a physician herself. She is a black woman and she went out of her way with her first pregnancy to ensure that she had a black provider. And she hadn't changed in her insurance this last pregnancy, so she could not see that black provider again. So she was heartbroken and she, you know, did other research and she just kind of asked around and she ended up in a practice that had no black providers. But the doctor that she had there immediately came in and started rattling off all of the things that needed to happen. And she started by saying, because you are a woman of color, these are the things that are going to be different in your care. We will need to do X. We will need to do Y. We will need to do Z. And she came back to me and said, are these things right? And I said, of course they're right. And she was, and she's like, I never had any of that in my other pregnancy with the black provider. And she started to feel some type of way. And I didn't at that point want to bring it up because even when she was, you know, gung ho about finding that black provider the first time, I, you know, I wanted to share those things, but I didn't want to rain on her parade. But I I just kind of wanted to bring that up as a juxtaposition to show that really, if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, in my opinion, and you're following the standard of care and the current guidelines and you're staying current, then Black women shouldn't have bad outcomes because those things should have been taken care of from the very beginning. So, again, that's why I said I don't think it's a direct correlation. I do think that there is some correlation to it. But I just feel like as healthcare providers in general, we just need to do better. Dr. Welsh Charles's point cannot be overstated. Yes, Black women tend to feel safer in the hands of another Black provider, particularly a Black female provider, but they shouldn't have to. All providers should be giving black and brown birthing people the same standard of care mandated by their own governing organizations and, quite frankly, the same care they give white women. The racial disparities in birth outcomes and maternal mortality rates shows it can be done. White women are doing pretty well. Not great. This is the U.S. after all. But better than black women. So if we can just get to their levels, it would be a significant improvement. I close every episode asking this question. What is our birthright? What do you say, Dr. Wells Charles? I feel your birthright is to be in an environment where you feel completely safe and protected. And I try really hard with all my patients, not just my black patients. So if you feel safe and you feel secure and you feel protected, then you can sit back and just really enjoy this wonderful wonderful blessing, this wonderful process, miracle that is about to happen. And that is what I feel each woman should have as their birth experience, just to be able to enjoy it the way that they want to enjoy it without being scared. Marie, how would you answer? Hmm. Our birthright is to be seen, um, is to feel heard, and is to come out of this experience feeling empowered and alive. Yeah. That's all I have. (laughs) That's more than enough. After all, living out your birthright should be simple. 
not a months-long research project. In the end, Maureen received her birthright and became a viral sensation in the process. As she said on Twitter to the 21,000 people who liked her post, quote, praying for the day when this testimony is not the exception, but the norm, unquote. Indeed, we are. Thank you so much for listening to Birthright. I'd like to thank my guests for this week, Maureen Siebert Gators, Bo Gators, Dr. Shanika Wells-Charles, and Ashley Wisdom, co-founder and CEO of Health in Her Hue. Birthright is hosted by me, Kimberly Seals-Allers, and produced by Domino Sound. Our executive producers are Nolika Radway and Kimberly Seals-Allers. Randy Chapman produces the show with Nikki Valdez as assistant producer and help from Homero Radway. Sound design and engineering by Sam Baer with original music from Trell Robinson. Birthright is funded by the California Healthcare Foundation. If you like what you heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.